Here it is. Will the cost of living crisis mark the end of the booming five property market? Roll VT. the end of the five property market is the boom over are we heading for a recession is the cost of living crisis going to overtake is inflation going out of control is interest rates going higher who knows we're going to discuss it all in this show right today the cost of living crisis will this be the end of the booming five property market i mean there's no doubt about this perry that five property prices have increased 24.2 percent over the last two years i'll say that again 24.2 percent Oh my God, three years ago, we were just going, if we can just get 4%, now we're up 24.2% over the last two years. Um, where are we going with this? You know, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, Perry, do you want to kick off here? Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, I mean, it, it's a massive statistic, isn't it, compared to what we've seen in past years. Um, yeah. Life house prices have risen on the back of several things, I think, um, and we've all gone through them, we've all experienced, you know, how people see their homes. For one thing, because we've all been living yeah. in them for, for two years nearly without really going out far afield with regards to the pandemic. Um, I think how people. I'm still living in my. I'm still living in my home. <laughs> I don't think I've ever left. I just wheel I myself out to go and see a customer and come straight back to this room. It's a good job you've got a good back. But anybody out there, I just sit in a permanent newsroom all day long. That's it. <laughs> and I just go out and I see a customer and I come back and sit in my newsroom. But you're so productive in there, so that's a good thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I mean, I think it is that as well. So it's not just how we see our houses, but it's how we live in our houses as well. Because a lot of us have been working at home as well, haven't we? So you know, yeah. we were all working at home to, to begin with. Um, you know, I was kind of coming into five properties towards almost like just that last six nine months of the pandemic. But I know I was working at home for quite some time. So working yeah. from home has made a big difference to people. Um, lack of property on the market, obviously, supply and demand has been a big thing as well in regards yeah. to where we've been in regards to what we're achieving. Um, the government obviously give tax incentives as well because they could see that they wanted the property market to keep going and what, what impact was the pandemic going to have. And if we look at all the flags and banners that we constantly talk about that we see on the news and the telly, they were always doom and glooming it, weren't they? And that didn't really seem yeah. to happen. Actually, the opposite seemed to happen. Um, you know, so land and building taxes made a big difference for people as well and gave them that higher margin in regards to what they could purchase and how much they would pay. So people took advantage of that as well, I think. So there's a real mixed bag in there, but I think it all stemmed from the pandemic hitting and actually positive incomes outcomes coming from it. Yeah. What we so we're going to talk about things like um, we're going to talk about things like the average household income. We're also going to talk about things like uh, uh, utility costs and how that will affect things, inflation, how that will affect things, and, and comparable about your disposable income, um, the combined house fuel um, um, and food pr um, uh, prices, and how they represent in disposable income in comparison to what it was in 1989 can, uh, to, to, to now, um, basically all these years ago. Uh, and also how leisure has increased as well. So we're going to go through all that information in this show and talk about all that, um, all that, all these key indicators. Remember, these are key indicators. I spoke about this last night on my UK house prices update for the um, from Zupla. 
um, and also how that affected the five property market as well. And, you know, it, it, it's good to see that Zoopla is actually agreeing with us um, mm -hmm. in terms of what, how we're thinking and how we think it's going in terms of where we think the property market's going as well. But it's even better to actually see this in context. Now, if you prepare yourself for a bit of shock here, this cost of living crisis might not actually be a cost of living crisis at all. And it's all a made up thing by the media in order to exacerbate the news and get more get more newsworthy information into the stratosphere in order to panic people and terrify people um, in order to make you watch the television more and engage with their channels more. Because at the end of the day, the news just wants to sell more news, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. And unfortunately, people do tend to react to what they see because that's what their knowledge and awareness is. They're, they're taking in what information is in front of them. And that's why, you know, the content that we discussed today is always good to share with people so we can give them some kind of facts behind some meat on the bones, if you like, is how I would describe yeah. it. The tide, I mean, the tide could be turning um, as the number of houses coming into the market is increasing as supply catches, starts to catch up with the demand. I mean, we had actually seen this recently back in July, just past. I mean, the whole of July, there was about eight to five more properties actually came into Fife on the market over and above what was actually sold. So there is a huge um, um, amount of coming on. Now, you might not actually think over 80 properties is actually quite a lot, but considering the total amount of properties on the market before we started was 550 properties available for sale, 80 properties is a quite a significant proportion to actually come on over and above that, isn't it, Richard? Yeah, I mean, we looked at the, the figures of available property for sale and for let throughout, obviously, the last two years. And the big difference is in previous years. Uh, so 80 is a big figure in comparison yeah. to that total figure. I mean, when the UK, look at the UK demand um, in the quarter one of 2022, 389,811 properties came onto the market in the UK compared to 425,295 um, in quarter two of 22. Um, one would typically expect quarter one to be actually larger than quarter two in the average years. Yet some commentators are saying uh, one thing that could stifle this growth is the cost of living crisis. Um, uh, now, we wanted to develop, we wanted to delve deeper into this, into what's happening in Fife instead of reading headlines in the newspapers. So, uh, you know, Perry. Let's start with average incomes. You know, what is the average Fife household income? I think it, they make a really good point there, Jim, about actually giving them the headlines, because we talk about Fife as a whole, don't we? Um, we're in our little microcosm here, aren't we, compared to, we can't really brand ourselves within the UK umbrella, I think, in all the statistics. Yeah. So it's good that we do that. So the average Fife household income at the moment is £611.60 per week, um, compared to £622 overall in Scotland. Um, yep. and six hundred and thirteen pounds ten pence nationally. Now, so, you know, this surprises me. I mean, that's around yeah. about thirty-one thousand a year. Okay, mm -hmm. but take at this, and um, when you look at it and say the average price, the average household income in Scotland is just a fraction over that, and the average house price, uh, the average income, and in nationally is even less more of a fraction <laughs> than what it is in Fife. Yeah, it, it, it then makes you think. I mean, you're obviously paying bigger prices for pro for the same products in the shops when you go down to London, there's the R and mm -hmm. Fife, um, mm -hmm. because of, obviously, rents are going to be higher, uh, mm -hmm. utility costs are going to be higher, um, um, even, even wage costs are going to be higher for working mm -hmm. in a different area as well. And yet, our average income in Fife is almost similar to the rest of the whole of the UK. Um, I mean, that's pretty good. That makes it more affordable to live in Fife, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it does do. And I know we're talking about three bigger kind of numbers there and it can come a little bit confusing. But I think for me, the yeah. way that I really analysed this in my head was the national average versus the FIFA average difference is £1.50 a week. That doesn't even buy a cup of coffee at a coffee shop. Yeah, I mean, that really does put it in, in simple terms. Who was it that said you've never heard it so good? <laughs> <laughs> Arnold McMillan, I think it was. I, I'm not going to quote the other person that said that because she's not very popular in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> but it was yeah. Harold McMillan. It says you've never heard it so good, and and I hate to say that, but almost a context when you look at it. I mean, if you roll back the, back the clock twenty years to two thousand and two, the average five household income was three hundred and fifty three pounds sixty pence. That's a huge difference. That's, that's almost point. that's almost to the point that the average household income is almost is almost nearly doubled in the last twenty years. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, why is that? I mean, you know, is that to do with the fact that we are getting a lot more um, skilled jobs and skilled labour? We're doing a lot more training within Fife and actually actually increasing the skills of the people in Fife. Therefore, they get more uh, they get more money as a result of their skills being higher. Uh, do you think that's maybe what what it's been? I think that um, there's a lot going on in Fife, and, and I think I tend to agree with Perry when she says we are kind of like our own wee microclimate in comparison to the rest of the UK. Um, I think there is a lot going on there. I mean, you look at the average uh, income in, in Scotland and in, in Fife on its own in comparison, yeah. um, I think that's quite interesting because it, it costs a lot more to live out with Fife. Like, if you go south of the border and things, it's prices of things are ridiculous, especially houses, especially, obviously, uh, products and things. So... You need to balance that up. And I do think that that increase from 2002 um, average wage to now is because of uh, what goes on in Fife and what we've got coming in. And, and it's high, and probably higher skill, isn't it? Yeah. It's a higher skill base as well. I mean, that's a 73% improvement in, in terms of Fife. So over 20 years, um, the average the average Fife household income has actually gone up 73%. Um, that's, mm -hmm. that's quite a lot of money. Now... Remember, we talk about household income here. We're not talking about an individual. Mm -hmm. We're talking about household income. Yeah. So household income could be a number of people actually making up that money. But mm -hmm. it just shows you that the average household income. And it could mean that more and more people are actually living together um, as a result of that as well. So it could be a combination of all the different things. I mean, there's a huge amount of in-depth detail to go into this. And we won't go into all that overall. But I wanted to, to go into greater detail um, a few weeks ago, um, and I started that about mortgage costs for, for first-time buyers, which were much lower today as a percentage of household income than it was in 1989 and also in 2007. Uh, mm -hmm. Many of you commentated on the social media um, uh, or sent me messages asking uh, what happened to the other household bills. Well, in 1989, 16% of household income, of people's household income, went on housing. That was rent or mortgage, compared to 17.5% in 2021. So that's gone up just a wee bit. Food also represented 19% of people's spending in 1989, compared to, wait till you hear this, food represented 19% of people's spending in 1989. That's almost 30 years ago compared to 14.4% in 2021. That means food has actually dropped. The food mm -hmm. bill per household income has actually dropped by by almost 5%. That's a huge drop in terms of food prices, isn't it? So 
so then it leads me to believe, isn't it any wonder that house prices or, or food prices are actually going up? Yeah, I know, absolutely. And I, I think if you look at it as well in regards to those percentages and you kind of group it all together. Yeah. In the end, I mean, you've got 16% of the income compared to 17.5% on your mortgage. So, okay, 1.5% of an increase in all that time has elapsed. But actually, you've saved 5% on food. So you're kind of really only 3.5% kind of better off still. But actually, your income's doubled. Mm. Yeah. So, when, you know, when you look at it like that, it's like you're 3.5% yeah. overall better and your income's doubled. So... Perspective. That's what it's all about. So if you're running about there like Henny Penny, like the world's falling in, if you remember Henny Penny, <laughs> Lucy Lucy. <laughs> the world's falling in. It's like the sky's falling in. Um, if you're running about like Henny Penny, think again. You've got to give some perspective on this. Stop reading the news and listening to the, listening to the media and because they're actually leading you down the path. But in actual fact, when you look at the numbers that you've got, it actually might you might actually be a better a lot better off than you actually think and and, and and this isn't to cause an argument or anything like that this is actually to show you the facts listen to gas and electricity prices there were six percent of household income in 1989 compared to 4.8 percent now that's a huge difference again but, I mean six point and, and it's only a, it sounds like an only small amount but it's 1.2 percent in our pocket. Mm -hmm. over and above so isn't it any wonder again that gas and electricity prices would have to move up as a result of realigning to come into line with what they should have been in the first place and i would argue to a certain degree that the inflationary aspect that we're getting now ideally should have been smoothed out over the last 20 years so it shouldn't have hit us all at once and i think this is what's happening yeah it's kind of bottlenecked and, and like you say it's, it's hard not to listen to the media and the scaremongering and things as well but um, it's only natural that the cost of things is going to increase. And I think yeah. it needs to have that balance with people's wages and income and salary and things to increase in line with that so that there's that affordability as well. The benchmark I always use, Richard, is the one I always think about is um, a washing machine. I remember buying an Indeset 800-speed washing machine at the co-op, mm -hmm. and it was £189, and that was 30 years ago. And yet you could almost buy a, a 1,400-spin speed right now for £189 right now. And it's even better quality uh, than it was in 30 years ago. And, and I scratch my head and think, how on earth could they still manage to sell that at the same price but be a better product? It's, uh, and, and it can't all be down to efficiencies. And at some point in time, surely these costs have to rise and they can't keep absorbing them themselves and churning it out and making more. Um, but washing machines are almost at the point where they're disposable. It's like just a disposable item. Um, because it's like, why bother getting it fixed? It's going to cost you about 60 or 70 quid to get it fixed. Will it last the amount of years you want it to? Why not just get rid of it and buy a new one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's true. I mean, gone are the days where you used to get someone in to fix something like that because actually historically it was more expensive to purchase them, wasn't it? So it was actually worthwhile yeah. then getting a, a man with a van in to kind of repair it and fix it so you could utilise it for another few years because people didn't yeah. have that then to, to spend on new things. I'd be interested to hear anybody's comments out there about how you feel things are going for you right now with this so-called cost of living crisis, if it really is that cost of living crisis at all. Um, I know, we, you know, we can't get away with the fact that utility bills have gone up, but that's just a fact, remember. How does it feel like boots on the ground for you overall? Because um, this is another interesting statistic here, that UK households spend 15% of their monthly income on leisure activities now compared to 
1989. So 5% extra of that income has now been spent on leisurely activities, um, leisure activities. And I would argue as well, if you have to tighten your belt, then that's obviously where it's going to come from. Mm -hmm. And if that's 5%, that's 5% of that amount. So 666 times, uh, I never said 666, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> like, wait a minute, 611 uh, times 5% and then times 52. That's one and a half thousand pound. That's that's your cost of living crisis utility bills covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, we're just cutting mm-hmm. back on your leisurely activities, according mm-hmm. to this on average. Now, there's going to be people, obviously, at the breadline, at the way at the other end of the spectrum, you know, the lower end of the spectrum, it will struggle as a result. But they're, they're on the average income. If you take that 5% on that average income, you're talking about another £1,500 extra you're spending, and that £1,500 that just so happens to be what utility prices have actually moved up recently, mm-hmm. on average. Yeah. So I would argue that you're no you're no worse off than you mm-hmm. were in 1989. And I, and, and I remember 1989 being okay, actually. Um, I don't know about anybody else. Richard, maybe you won't there remember. Yeah, I was three, but, um... You're just a young lad. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's true to point that out, actually. I mean, I know we're giving facts here, um, but these are just averages. And, you know, we yeah. do absolutely appreciate that there are people out there, actually, who don't fall within these statistics, who are generally struggling and trying to work out where they can get it. So... You know, that's where the government. That's where the government needs to help and needs to direct the money to the people who actually need it and boots on exactly. the, you know, right at that sort of end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't need to. I mean, Rishi Sunak actually said it about the four hundred pound overall to every single person, and then somebody went, "Well, why do you give it to the rich? Because you should." And he says, "But if you could work out a better way how you can do this efficiently and economically, um, then by all means suggest it." Uh, and that shut their mouth because the reality is to go and try and find out how many people are earning a certain amount. But then it could be done because it could be done a rebate through your taxation system because the mm-hmm. taxation system would determine how much you're earning and everybody up to a certain amount it was earning wouldn't get that rebate as a result. So mm-hmm. why would they not be able to do it that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one. I'll be I'll be standing for prime minister. I <laughs> 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 mean, actually, Rishi, you can actually steal that one if you want, if you're watching the show. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think I've just solved your problem, to be honest, <laughs> about how you distribute that wealth to the people that actually need it. But he is actually doing that. He's, he is actually talking about um, uh, lower taxation for people on uh, on the lower rate thresholds to actually benefit mm-hmm. people. It will benefit the wealthy as a result as well. But it is a way of targeting um, through that taxation system just that one-off rebate to these people on a set up to a certain income level. Uh, in order to redirect that money to that. And then the people that are actually on that are universal credit. They can target these people through the universal credit system. So that is a really tax-efficient way and a really efficient way to deliver that service and deliver that um, deliver that help and support to these people that actually need it. Um, let's get back to the, th- the, the, the questions at hand. Look, household goods and services, that's household appliances and insurance and et cetera, have risen from 11% in 1989 to 14.9% in 2021. Now, that is where the jump is. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is a jump in terms of household appliances, household insurance. Um, again, I would argue that you need to shop around. This is going to have to be a point. Uh, it's not a cost of living crisis as such. It's a now a redeployment of your resources in order to say where your priorities should be in terms of your spending and actually say to yourself, can I get that 
can I get that insurance at a better a better price point? Can I get that household appliance? Do I need to buy the one that's the extra hundred pound over and mm. above? Can I go for the less expensive version? Now I will stay less expensive in this scenario because most washing machines, for example, are made by all the same person. Hot mm. point, <laughs> whirlpool, hot point, whirlpool controls Indeset, they control Creda, they control all these different things. Look at look at Volkswagen. Audi, Skoda, Volkswagen, they're all the same car and engine and same mm. suspension. It's just the bodywork. It's completely different. So do you actually need to spend a lot more money on that? So if you really need to look for ways that you can tighten your belt, um, it is actually looking at the identifying the things that are really more cost-effective to actually invest in or buy um, in, order to, in order to make that overall picture. Now, if you don't think that you could save any money from what you're doing, I, I, I can't wholeheartedly agree with you at all. Um, there is saving, there's always savings there. If you look at your household spend and what you're doing every single day and every single uh, week, um, you will make overall savings. Now, you maybe don't think uh, ordering, for example, um, I tell you what, we have two Chinese meals a week, right? Now, these Chinese meals might be another £15 a week or maybe another £20. I'll just say £20. But if you take that over and cut back by one Chinese meal, um, then you're saving yourself a thousand pound a year. There's yeah. the next increase until that was covered just by that one measure of doing that. So there's all different things to do and how to do it. Um, it's just a matter of priorities about how you want to do it. And if you say you've got no money to do that and you've got no money to save to do that, my next question to you out there is, and this is what's been asked to me before, and it really put me on the spot, was if your car tire, if your tire burst on your car or your shower, your shower, your only means of washing in your house broke and it was costing a hundred pounds to fix, would you actually fix it? And most people would say absolutely. And then the next question I was asked myself was, so where did you find the hundred pound in? Oh, I never thought about that. Um, <laughs> and that's that's the kind of thing. So really, really question yourself and push yourself to that point where you have to think to yourself, okay, where can I actually make these savings? Because they will compound over a period of time mm -hmm. um, and over a period of the year uh, to make that overall saving that you're actually needing. A £10 here and there doesn't sound much. It's like what you talk about, uh, Richard, about, you know, £2 a day. And you've talked yeah. about this before. I mean, £2 a day is like 800 quid a year. Yeah. Just and by think, two quid a day. Yeah, and it boils down to, I think, what you class as a necessity or, or obviously, or a luxury. Yeah. And, and categorizing them and then cutting it down to there. There's always there's always scope to to make cutbacks that will well, allow you to look at it this way. If I took two quid off of you a day, you would go, ah, it's not that big a deal. But if I took you eight hundred pounds in your pocket there and then, you'd you'd be jumping for Harry Mel, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 that's that's how that's how you've got to look at it. So it is that sort of it is that wee compounding thing. Like we talk about compounding wealth, it's compounding savings. Same mm -hmm. sort of scenario. We, we should we should have a we should have a savings creation show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the savings creation show because I've done it all before. I did it in my early, when I was a student. I did all that. I sat and looked at all the numbers. I sat and looked at where I could make the savings. I started compounding all these savings over a period of time. I started consolidating my debt into one, so I would have less cash flow going out every month. So I had more money to do what I needed to do for the priority and the things I needed in my life, and I was able to push that out as a result. So I've done it all before as a student. So it's easy to teach someone else to do that. Um, and maybe that is another show we need to talk about. Um, but before we leave the starts there, I had a peek at the 1957. The 1957 starts, 
That's the earliest stats available in the very beginning. And that year, food represented. Now, I'll go over this again, what food represented. Food represented. Um, where was it? Where was it? Um, somebody catch up with me. Household income went on rent and mortgage, uh, leisure activities. We talked about food. Um, where did we talk about it? It was like 90%. 90% of people spend that. So we talked, about, we talked about food was 19% of people's income, disposable income, in yeah. 1989. It was 14.4% 4 in 2021. That's right now. Food in 1957 represented... 33% of your household income and tobacco 6% and today tobacco is 2.34%. There's another one as well. If you think you can't save any money, I'll tell you what, if you're smoking and taking taxis, then you can save money straight away. If you're buying branded products, you can save money straight away because we clearly know they all cost a bit more money. And taxis yeah. and everything else as well. You know, we again, there was one point that we had no car when I was a student. We decided just to have no car at all when we walked everywhere. And if we really needed something desperately, we would take the bus. Um, mm -hmm. so, oh, public transport. It's like, hey, it's one of these things. You got to suck it up. <laughs> I think we're unless, making, you're making unless, you're, unless you're the numpty magnet like me, where everybody wants to sit sit beside. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great. <laughs> not a good idea. Um, I think for me, I think it's true. All the all the things that we're talking about, and it's not something that people generally will do. I mean, we always get health checks, etc. We look after ourselves that way, but we never, you know, the majority of us don't necessarily sit and do a complete financial check on ourselves. It's no. like your renewals for your car insurance. We just ought to renew. We don't actually say. Why do you think that is, Perry? Why do you think that is? And I'll give I'll give you the answer because it's never <laughs> taught in school. Well, that's that's true. And so yeah. people just say, "Well, it is what it is." Well, it is what it is until it isn't. <laughs> so do you know what never, I mean? So it's never taught something. within our education system of how to budget mm -hmm. and how to look after ourselves and everything mm -hmm. like that. You used to have things like home economics. I don't know if even that exists anymore. You used to have yeah. the, you know, um, techie, you know, the trades and everything as well. You used to have all these things, and that's what mm -hmm. taught you all the basic skills and necessities. But mm -hmm. the most important thing we need to start talking about is financial education at primary level. We need to teach our children about delayed gratification, and it's not all about microwave society. That things are instant, and, and you know, they need things are innocent. And if you kind of get it, you've got to run and get a loan to get it. And you've got to take out finance to get it. You've got to, they've got to know the difference between what good finance is and bad finance is yeah. and, and what that really means to them. And I think that's the most important thing we need to take it, teach at that level. And that's how we'll get out of this situation. That's how we'll survive for the years to come. And we'll be a prosperous nation as a result. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing a part of political broadcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's, uh, Perry, compared to 1989. Yeah, so I think... The big ticket items there really for housing were food and fuel combined with, you know, have got they've gone down by forty one percent to thirty six point seven of household incomes, yeah. whereas leisure has increased from ten to fifteen. So yeah. I think in five in particular, we've got so much outside space actually, we don't necessarily need to be spending fifteen percent on leisure yeah. if we don't need to. You know, there is ways that we can cut that for ourselves, isn't there? Mm. Um I mean the fuel element of household bills um will rise to around eleven stroke twelve percent of people's income. It's what's anticipated, but we don't really know what's going to come um, come October. You know, they put one cap and now they're saying that cap's going to change. So that could be a bit harder than anticipated. We're just not sure, are we? Um, but I suspect the leisure... Inflation, then? 
Sorry? Where would, you, where would you think we're seeing food inflation? Where do you think that'll go? Um, well, food inflation, according to what we've looked at here, is we would go really from 10% to 15%, which means the food yeah. will grow from its current 14 and a half, 14.4 up to maybe 16 stroke 17. So yeah. actually, even that increase from 14.4 to 17, if you were to do something with your 15% leisure and cut that down to 10, actually, you could still balance your books without actually being out of pocket and have mm -hmm. additional income that could help with your, your fuel increase. Yeah, it will hit the leisure market, will won't it? And, and the leisure market will obviously affect jobs and that then cut back. But at this point in time, the leisure market's trying to scream out for more new jobs. So yeah. it, it kind of might, might actually alleviate that position and, and, and level it off a bit. Um, mm -hmm. and it might come to its natural conclusion about where it sits right now um, yeah. without this huge demand on it as well. Mm -hmm. So that, it, you never know, it could actually be a blessing in disguise. I mean, it's going to be tough, especially for the people in rent and accommodation who may not even earn near the wage uh, it's needed yet uh, as they have similar fixed costs for gas and electricity and food. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you, you still have to eat regardless and, and your, your, your food bill isn't variable to, to each person. You know, you basically everybody needs the same essentials uh, to survive, um, and that's where it's going to come out. But that's where I say to you know, unbranded products is probably the best thing to go for. And I know we don't, you know, everybody likes their cans of baked beans. It's got to be Heinz, or it's got to be Heinz soup and all the rest of it. But but to be honest, it's if it's a cost of living crisis you're in, and you're in you're at dire straits right now. It's like I'm, I would, you know, I would be I would be eating unbranded products all the time. Um, it's 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 very rare we'll actually get branded products um, for what for what we're doing. Um, I don't see the necessity for it. I don't see the essentials for it. Um, and 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 over a period of time, I just see it as a as, as it just eats into your food your food budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree that, with that. I think it is going to be tough for tenants, as you say, people at the yeah. lower end who don't have the the same wages to try and keep up with inflation and obviously rental prices uh, going up and things as well, but. I think that's where their uh, employers and things need to look at obviously wages and things as well but people really need to reconsider their spending habits and like you say jim branded products and extra leisure things you're going to have to cut back and that's that's ultimately what's going to have to happen yeah and, and the one thing i would say if you're on a card meter um for your power and electricity your power and gas and that and then see if you can actually get your card meter switched to dry meters um mm -hmm. uh, so you're not actually on cards because card meters cost a hell of a lot more to administer um, and there's a lot higher charges on card meters. So if you yeah. can change them, change them. It's ironic that the people that need it the most are usually charged the most money. Um, but the people that need to save the most, it's the classic example about, I remember hearing the story about someone that was, uh, well, look at me, for example. Um, you know, when the credit crunch came along, I was stuck on a mortgage at 7.5%, whether I liked it or not, because I was flocked into a fixed rate. And even though mortgage rates were right, had dropped <laughs> bottom value to point, uh, half a percent, Nobody would let me move because I was involved in property and most of my equity was in property. And it's like, no, we didn't deal with property. So we can't put you onto a different uh, a different rate because you can't really prove your income is more than, over and above mm -hmm. that because most of your income is reliant on property. So the, I was actually stuck on a 7.5% mortgage for the next five years, whether I liked it or not, while everybody was sitting uh, having the benefit of the you know record low rates <laughs> at, at 2% um, or, or, or even less. So, um, so that was one of the things. And so, when I actually needed it, I couldn't get it. And and mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's true of the people actually in in a position where they don't have that huge amount of income, don't have that huge amount of disposable income, and for them, it's uh, it's 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 almost life or death. 
um, mm. in that situation. So that's where the most that's where the most help needs to go. But unfortunately, sometimes the system doesn't actually accommodate for that because it then takes risk into account. And then because risk of default for most things um, in risk analysis, the default then the risk of default is higher. Therefore, the push to interest rate higher as a result. So the person gets penalised. That's it. They're penalised for their circumstances, aren't they? And actually, it's circumstances that potentially are out with their control now as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What about inflationary costs uh, and inflationary effects on housing, Perry? What's what's the what's the deal with that then? So a rise in the base rate will, in theory, show inflation um, by reducing consumer demand. In the short term, this increase in the base rate will increase mortgage rates. Um, increased mortgage rates usually means that people tend to stay where they are. Um, so as fuel to the fire in the cost of living crisis by growing your mortgage costs. And actually, I yeah. had a situation the other day. It's so true. I had a situation the other day with a gentleman who was interested in one of our properties and his mortgage approval in principle had expired. So he reapplied for his new mortgage approval in principle. And because of new changes in the base rates, actually couldn't borrow as much as he could previously. And to borrow less was costing him more. So he's yeah. actually had to call me and say, actually, I, I can't take that viewing now because yesterday I could afford the house, today I can't. Okay, I would go back to him because remember the stress testing has just been removed two days ago. Mm -hmm. So the stress test of 3%, uh, measuring at 3% over what you're currently borrowing to mm -hmm. stress test it was removed two days ago. Um, mm -hmm. So potentially that person might actually be able to afford that now um, under because the stress test no longer exists, that, that method. Mm -hmm. So I would, anybody out there, I would check that as well. If you've just been refused again or or, or if you only refused before, you've got a re-evaluation re and, and you were refused, then go back to them anyway uh, just to make sure that's still the case or or it might not be the case because the stress test measure was removed two days ago if you've been um, watching or, or reading uh, BBC News. So that's all that's been removed. Uh, I would argue as well, Perry, um, most people are on fixed rate mortgages right now, mm -hmm. and therefore any and any increase in interest rates is not really going to hit them that hard mm -hmm. um, uh, for that reason. Um, so it might take that, and, and we've seen that anyway, when I did my, mm -hmm. my update on my UK property prices yeah. uh, last night, we've seen that anyway, where demand has actually, um, it's dropped from April from about 50-odd percent to 25 percent in June um, to... Um, supply has gone from 40% uh, under supply to um, to about 20% under supply now. So there's a lot more supply coming on. Um, so the more houses coming on has gone from 4% to 5%. Um, therefore, that's why the oversupply is coming in. But it's not an oversupply to cause a panic. It's an oversupply just to take into account and alleviate the position with the complete undersupply that's been going on for the last two or three years. Mm. I would argue as well that you know base rate rises will not necessarily put a lot of people off um, for that reason. Yeah, and it won't even, impact everyone. Yeah, but even if it did think about this, people will have to move for circumstances anyway. And if you've had a twenty-four point two percent rise in your in your house price in the last two years, and you've had your house for you know five years, for example, I think it's about thirty or thirty-five percent increase over the five-year period, uh, then then if you've got a decrease in the price of 10%, it's not going to make any difference to you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Because you're still 25% up overall. Um, but if you're moving from like to like, proportionally, the price is still the same anyway. Because what you're mm -hmm. buying is the same proportionate price anyway. 
Uh, if you're moving out the area, that's a different story. If you're coming into the area, that's a different story as well, because proportionally in these areas, it's completely different. Somebody in Glasgow that sells a two-bedroom flat in Glasgow can clearly afford a five-bedroom house in, in, mm -hmm. in Fife, um, because you know the price point in, for a two-bedroom flat in Glasgow is com completely different to what it is in Fife. So it's more affordable buying Fife, and that's why you see a lot of people um, possibly considering relocating and coming to this area for that reason. So mm -hmm. rising the base rate will, in theory, slow inflation by reducing the consumer demand because it obviously takes that out. And it, then it puts people on edge a bit, and then they go, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't make that decision. Maybe I shouldn't get that bigger thing. Maybe I shouldn't get that better car. Maybe I shouldn't get this. Um, maybe I shouldn't go on that better holiday. Maybe I should do the staycation instead. Um, sometimes the staycation ends up more, though. <laughs> oh, genuinely, genuinely. I remember going to Blackpool years ago when Elaine, it must have been about 35 years ago when Elaine and I first met. And we went to Blackpool. And it cost us for a weekend in Blackpool, 35 years ago this is, and this is a lot of money a weekend uh, for, for that time. It cost us over £300 by the time we're finished with it. And I looked at the time, and you were actually getting flights to Florida for, and holidays to Florida for two people for about £300. And I thought, I could have been to Florida for that price. <laughs> that's, that's so when you think about it, again, don't, be, don't look into it first. That's the advice I'd give people out there. Look into it first before you make a decision about is this the right way forward and is this the right way to put my money into to, to I always call it invest your money because your money is either invested in experiences or it's invested in things that will actually make you money. Um, that's kind of how I look at it um, when I say invest. Um, I never really look at money as spending. Spending is only when you spend it and you really don't get any intrinsic benefit out of it at all. It's just a complete waste. Um, so a rise in the base rate will, in theory, slow inflation and consumer demand. And in the short term, the increase in the base rate will increase mortgage rates, thus adding the fuel to the fire and the cost of living crisis, like we said, and the mortgage cost. But for those five homeowners on a tracker with very weight mortgages will in instantly increase their mortgage payments. But encouragingly, though, and as I said already, this is the statistic we've got. Encouragingly, though, just under 17 out of 20 people are on fixed rate mortgages. Mm -hmm. The majority are on five-year fixed-rate deals, so their housing costs won't go up significantly in the short term. The people that will affect, though, Richard, is what you said, is the people in rented accommodation. Yeah, That will affect them, because their housing costs will go up as a result straight away. Uh, they're not on a mortgage rate, and plus the fact that the cost of finance to an investor like ourselves, cost of finance goes up, we have to pass that on somewhere. We can't absorb that. So yeah. I, I have a sneak suspicion housing costs and um, rent will go up as a result um, because of that. Um, mm. So that's the people that are going to be marginalised in this process. Um, so again, it's all about making sure you're balancing the budget and, and making sure you do it now. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, like that's it. I'm no, I'm no spending it. <laughs> I'm raining on everything. I'm, my money's scarce. I, I, I can't afford to spend anything. That's not what I'm advocating. Don't put down the shutters right now. Just take a good look at your finances. Take mm. a good look at where you are and take a good look at the things that you can actually save on or rejig in order to do that, in order to make it easier for the medium, medium the short to medium term. This is usually typically a short to medium term thing. Um, things like this is never a long term because we'll always come out of it in about you know, probably about five years' time. It's We're all back to business as usual. And in 20 years' time, it all happens all over again. 
because it's a cyclical <laughs> process. <laughs> and, and it's just in a different mannerism, that's all. Mm -hmm. um, so this will alleviate some of the interest rate effects, uh, making it more challenging and expensive for new borrowers and like first-time buyers. Right. Um, so what are the next things then, Richard? You know, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, we've explained stuff in previous articles. I mean, what was it? Yeah, I mean, we've explained stuff in previous articles. Um, uh, the Fife property market and many Fife landlords have been sitting on their hands uh, mm -hmm. in the last couple of years uh, as owner-occupiers. Uh, yeah. and have outbid, outbid each other on uh, buying their next forever home. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's any, if there aren't any good uh, to being um, as many five first-time buyers, uh, then I suspect we might see more five landlords, which I've already seen, coming out of the woodwork and buying again. And I've already started to see that. I mean, that's yeah. that's really, I've seen quite a lot of that. A lot of and do you know why that is? Mm -hmm. It's essential. And, and I know other people say, oh, no, no, we don't want investors. We don't want landlords. It's no, they're greedy and all the rest of it. It's like, but these are the people that prop the market up when the first time buyers aren't there. Because mm -hmm. these yeah. are, typically you get the investors and the, the, the landlords buy at the, the lower end of the market and lower value properties that have a better return, but yeah. actually an affordable return. Because um, then rents don't need to be set so high in order to cover costs. Um, but these are the people that actually then prop the market up at the bottom, which allows the people to upgrade. Remember, it's all about your circumstances. If you've got a baby coming along in nine months' time, the baby is not going to wait till you buy a new house. Baby is coming along in nine months' time, whether you like yeah, it or not. This is the reason I talk about circumstances. People will move for circumstances. If you can't manage the stairs because you're elderly and you need to downsize, Again, that is your circumstances that force that. So at some point in time, even though you did have a temporary lull or a temporary slowdown in anything, it will recover because of circumstances will mm -hmm. dictate how to move. People split up. They need other houses to live in. People get together. They need another house to live in. And one house is released. Um, it's all these different mixes and the mm -hmm. demographics and the makeup, it actually make up that overall. So yeah, one, yeah. One, of the, one of the things you've not mentioned there, Jim, as well, and actually I've come across it twice this week when I've been doing viewings at property, and it's actually couples moving to the area because they've had a promotion with their job and they're relocating with work. Yeah. So they're bringing income to the area. They're also buying houses in the area. They're spending in the area. So again, that keeps Fife going as well, doesn't it? This is why it's essential to attract people from outside as well, because mm -hmm. of that, because their skills because their skills add value to what we have in Fife and mm -hmm. they lift and it's the rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. So don't don't decry people that come in from outside in Glasgow, because typically it's a lot of people from Glasgow because they're on the West Coast, we're on the East Coast. And let's be honest, we've got better weather. Um, and, <laughs> and, and they know that and that's why they want to come and live on the East Coast. <laughs> Welcome to God's country. <laughs> that's essentially it, isn't it? Um, but um, Perry, yeah, I would agree that uh, I'm seeing quite a lot of uh, skilled and professional people and couples and things coming into the area and renting is also. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, they're here, they've got contracts, they're maybe not entirely sure how long they're going to last. And they, so I do see that on the rental side as well. Well, you've got contractors as well, uh, Richard, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. you were approached recently by by some of the big organisations, big corporations, yeah, yeah. saying, look, we need rental properties for our workers. Um, so have you got anything available? Um, mm -hmm. Again, that's a, that's prosperity coming into the area um, through mm -hmm. the fact that, I mean, that money doesn't get, let's be honest, 
as a landlord and an investor, they, they don't, we don't run out and buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis. That just doesn't happen. We we live from day to day like everyone else, and it gets reinvested in, and and maybe put new kitchens and new windows in. A local contractor comes along. They then make money with that as well. They then spend their money locally as well. So all the money stays in the same local economy um, and the same area. Um, and that's what that's where prosperity gets spread around everybody who who invests in that and who actually benefits as a result of that. So someone coming mm -hmm. in is to be welcomed. It's not it's not to be ostracised. Um, I would mm -hmm. say so. The, definitely, I would I, I would I would agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that um, as we say, more uh, landlords and uh, new landlords in five coming out of the woodwork yeah. um, and, and starting to buy. Uh, it's especially true. Uh, investing in buy to let in these infl inflatory times mm -hmm. um, and it's an excellent hedge to protect in uh, the buying power of your hard-earned savings and we've seen that quite a lot we speak a lot about on the wealth creation show jim um, that people have all the time yeah. it's the best and asset class ever for generating income yeah and generating an income short term and it also has long-term uh, long-term capital appreciation you're literally yeah. paid to wait yeah uh, yeah and it's investing your savings and things into uh, your buy to let portfolio to create this cash flow and as yeah. you say Jim they're picking up these properties um, they're turning them around and providing housing for people maybe at that level where I mean obviously there is no housing at the moment the, the homeless list at the minute is just crazy the many mm. people that come in so buy to let and landlords and investors are providing that, um, that, that housing for those people that I otherwise wouldn't have anybody left, basically. Well, look at the lighting scenario. Every time we look at the weekend after the weekend, there's about 60 or 70 emails in from people looking for properties to let from us. At, at least. Every single weekend. So anybody out there that says that that's, you know, that's not the right thing to do and all the rest of it for landlords. And it's like, we need private landlords. We need local authority property as well. We need the local authorities to build social housing again and actually to build council houses. I mean, council build council houses. Um, so that so we know the right decisions are made for the right reasons. And that's to help the people that actually need to rent and they have no other choice but to rent. And it's the reason for that is because they they they, they don't have the means uh, to actually be able to afford the house in the first place. And they don't have the credit rate at all uh, for that reason. So you're absolutely right, Richard. We do need that a lot, a, lot, a lot of these people to be in that market and a good mix of housing tenure. Um, uh, Perry, uh, we're getting near the end. Do you want to wrap this up in conclusion? Uh, I think for conclusion for me, um, and certainly my takeaways for it, um, although the amalgamation of five house prices in the last two years, um, increasing interest rates, um, yeah. continuing cost of living crisis, as they talk about, there's no doubt that the momentum in the five property market has been slower in the last 12 months. And we've started to yeah. see that, haven't we? We've started to see that kind of impact us. Um, compared yep. to 24 months ago. Um, nevertheless, scientists say the five house price growth will possibly ease, but we're talking about easing whereby really a year ago we were seeing offers over 18, 20 percent. We're yep. not seeing we're not seeing people currently offering less. You know that 18 and 20 now is maybe around about seven stroke 14, 15, isn't it? That's what we're kind of yep. kind of seeing as an average. So some months you know it's slightly less, some months it's more. So there's positives and negatives there, but I don't think we're seeing this drastic decline that, that has been kind of anticipated. Um, yeah. A bit of bear weather of the stage with the five property market, the number of people who are moving in house, moving house. And I think that the transaction levels is probably what we need to look at more than anything else. Transactional levels level, is 
It's yeah. definitely key. As I said, when people talk about house prices all the time, it makes no difference at all, really, unless you're selling up completely and putting the money in your pocket because you're mm-hmm. going to have to buy somewhere else anyway and it's proportionally the same price. So the, right. the whole point of the better better weather is exactly what you said. It's the transactional levels. It's how mm-hmm. many houses are actually selling and how many mm-hmm. houses are actually you know buying. Um, that's what it comes down to. And it's the same with you, Richard, as well. For a healthy rental market, it's how yeah. many properties are actually being let and how many how many properties are, are still in the market to be let. Um, mm-hmm. That's the that's the bellwethers here. It's not anything to do with anything else other than that. Um, I mean, I expect transactional levels to be lower in the latter part of this year uh, than the first half. I mean, I'd said that last night as well of 2023, uh, yet they're most likely to stay close to the long-term average uh, I mean, the boom is over. Yeah, it shouldn't be a bust situation. I think I think that's really the the thoughts out of this. I mean, mm-hmm. just what's your thoughts initially on the, on that period? I mean, the boom the boom is over, but the, it shouldn't be a bust situation, should it? No, I, th- I don't think it is, and we're not really seeing that drastic decline. And you know, you showed you demonstrated that on the the graphs on on the shows over the last couple of weeks. I don't see we're not seeing the drastic decline. I think what we're seeing really is the timeline of that transaction is maybe taking a little bit longer. Because the buyers yeah. got a little bit more time to, they've got more to look at, haven't they? So, you mm. know, six months ago, there was maybe one fourth property that fit what their criteria wish list was. Now they might have four or five. So, where they were instantly making a decision because it was only one, because someone else was going to come along, they're maybe taking a, a bit longer and they're going to maybe spread over a few more weeks looking at property because there's maybe five or six they want to look at. And then they'll kind of think about it and then they'll make a decision. Whereas all of that timeline wasn't really there six months ago. It was like snap decisions had to be made, otherwise you lost out. So I don't yeah. think for us that we're really seeing that it's necessarily a decline. I think we're getting there on the price points. It's just maybe taking a little bit longer now than it did previously. Yeah, perfect. Richard, for you. Yeah, I think as you guys have explained and demonstrated, the, the five public market is not going to drastically change, although things will progressively uh, alter. I think for me, with regards to the cost of living, and thinking about obviously um, everybody, but in particular tenants and things, I think it's it's wise not to listen to the the media and the, the overall coverage for the UK and think about your own area and your own individual self and, and assess that and your outgoings and things to manage it correctly. Yeah, perfect. I think that's I think that's key. I think it's making sure that actually do that financial health check on yourself, control your controllables, and actually everything else can take care of itself. Yeah, and if anybody wants us to do a show on financial health check and all the rest of it, more than happy to do that about budget and about how to do that and and what you should be doing and how you should be looking at things. I could easily just go through most of my own stuff and actually save myself a fortune probably <laughs> at the same time. I'll do a show about saving myself a fortune. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've no doubt. I, I know that myself. I've no doubt that I'll probably have things in there that I think, oh, did I really need to spend that money? Did I really need to spend that on that? Did I really need to spend this on that? Um, and I think that so if anybody wants that show, then please feel free to put in the comments. Uh, we want a show on, on how to budget and how to, how, to, how, to, how to save money over a period of time. Uh, and that's it, guys. Thank you very much for taking part in the show. Thank Thanks you. for watching. And it's goodbye from her. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye from there. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>